people want to believe. Change is constant, coming from anywhere and everywhere. We find ourselves pondering unseen, eternal realities, awakening our capacity to believe. This is No God. Welcome back to the No God Podcast. I'm Micah, and I'm here with... Nobody. Your your dad, Tony. <laughs> I was starting to talk, and you butted in. Well, you just waited too long. <laughs> and your wonderful mother, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, we've taken most of the summer off, and right. I'd say today is like actually feels like the official end of summer. That's right. It's actually because we've had this is this is because somebody might listen to this podcast three years from now. So we're in and 2022. And summer was plenty hot around here in the Midwest, mm-hmm. the Omaha area. And today, on my thermometer that's attached to the deck in the shade, it's 32 degrees. Ugh. Well, and there's frost on the There's grass. frost. Frost on, not on the pumpkin. The frost was on the pumpkin. <laughs> the right. fodders and It's shock. on our tomatoes and our green beans. Oh, <laughs> no more fresh green beans. Well, I don't know. They're up off the ground, so we'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're here for a... The kickoff of this season of the No God Podcast. What season is this? This is actually five. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Season five. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Season five, we're going to talk about church people. <laughs> All right. So here's that all the rumors. <laughs> rumors, gossip. <laughs> we are refocusing. Axes to grind. <laughs> actually, what I really am thinking about is that as I think about church people, there can be a lot of negative thoughts. I mean, every... I think anybody who's ever been in a church for very long, I don't even know how long it has to be, maybe even just a few months, everybody can recount a negative experience. Mm -hmm. Today we want to talk about how one individual, one life, can make a difference in the life of other people in this environment that we call the church. And so that's really where we want to go today. And I kind of want to cut that, kind of uh, kick that off by sharing about a person in the ministry that we had that I that I was a church leader in, in Western Kansas. And we had a lady named Mary, Mary Meyer. She's since gone on to her eternal reward a long time ago, actually. But I want to kind of just talk about her because she was the kind of like an unlikely player for a rather short amount of time in the life of that church. And yet at the same time, her life made a difference. Her involvement in that church made a difference. So background on yeah. Mary. And it would have coincided with a very important transitional time in our family too. So it, you know, transitional times kind of keep memories very fresh. So that was when we were moving from Sepulpa to Goodland. Right. And she was there. Yep. Well she arrived shortly after she For was okay. she lived there, but yep. she arrived in our church shortly after we were there. Yeah. So I would have been about six. Yeah? Right. She was right. kind of a neighbor. She was just around the corner. Yeah, she's just like a block and a half around or something. Well, in like, everybody was a neighbor in Goodland. I mean, it, true. you, you could walk true. to anyone else's house if you really needed to. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah, and a distinctive about Goodland, I remember, because your mother and I walked a lot for exercise, mm-hmm. many, many miles. Um, the two miles, two miles from the north edge of Goodland to the south edge. Mm-hmm. And one foot difference in elevation in those two miles. Oh, my goodness. Yes. If you wanted to work out for backpacking, you had to go walk up and down the bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were no hills. Yep. In that setting, 
um, we arrived at a church that was in transition as far as property and and even just in kind of a re renewing ministry. And Mary was um, in a transition herself. Not only was her husband's health beginning to fail, and he eventually very shortly ended up uh, spending, you know, moving into a care center. Uh, and then Mary was living at her house alone and would visit her husband every day. But the church that she had been a part of for decades voted to close. And so she found herself at, in her 70s, I'm not going to, I don't remember exactly how old she was, but she was well into retirement years. She found herself in that spot where, am I going to go to church? Because my church closed. Mm-hmm. And her next door neighbors, which this is always the novel thing about it, her husband's name was Bill. So this is Bill and Mary. And their very next door neighbors were Bill and Mary also. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. But Bill and Mary next a door neighbors. Difference. Yes. A generate um, easily a generation difference, if oh, not yes. a generation Probably and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, well before we were ever in town, had all because they'd been neighbors for a number of years, they just looked out for each other. That's really what it was. It was just being neighborly. But so when Mary, the older, needed to find a new church, she thought, well, I guess I can, you know, take up Bill and Mary's invitation to try their church, which was only a block and a half away. (laughs) Now, that was a little too far for Mary's preference to walk to church. So she always drove... Her very large, oh, I remember that red. <laughs> I forgot about her car. Car, that was, you know, got her around. She was still doing her own shopping and stuff like that, and she drove the block and a half to the church. But you know what? If you're not from the Midwest and particularly rural Midwest, you don't even realize that. Uh, I grew up on a farm. We never walked anywhere. If it was like fifty yards from the house to the shop, we just hopped in the pickup and drove down to the shop. I mean, that was just, that was like a template that we did. And as I look back on it now as an adult, I go, what? That was really weird. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that, I digress a little bit. But Mary, the interesting thing is that Mary tried out the church. She And she was a well-versed church person. She had been in a pilgrim holiness church. That's how she had been, had found her faith in Christ as a young adult. And then she spent, uh, a number, a handful of decades, two or three decades in that church, and that church technically closed by merging with a Wesleyan church in town, which was very near to where Mary lived by then, because they lived on a farm, they moved into town, and so then she was a part of that church until it closed. And I remember after I got to know her, just like in a number of weeks, it was a very short time that I visited with her, and the thing that that. Imp- Uh, I guess kind of like was like, gave me a picture of Mary was, she said to me, well, um, I knew that our church needed to close. We just were not making it financially and we weren't having as much ministry as what I think we should have been having. So when we closed, I just had to decide. And she said, I decided, and this is what she said, to pick up my faith and to go to the next church that the Lord wanted me at. Wow. Hmm. And it helped that we were conveniently located so close. <laughs> yes. That's right. <laughs> but that that was my introduction to why she came to our church. Because she then 
as as I would fully expect, was not surprised. But people who are not as um, experienced in how people make decisions about church, especially if they've already been part of a church, is the intricacies of preferences about what a church is like and doctrinal nuances and such of a church. And so Mary was, again, very frank with me, and she just said, you know, this church isn't quite what I would have chosen, but your people are good. I need a church that I can get to, and I think this is where God has put me. And I really think that as the time played out then, what I... The one contribution that she made to me personally as the pastor was she never missed an opportunity to just encourage, even mm-hmm. if it was just mm-hmm. with her cheerful pastor. Actually, I can't quite say it in the way that my kids <laughs> seem to think Go that ahead, she said Mike. that. <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. Pastor. <laughs> there we go. That's a little exaggerated little but exaggerated close. but close yes we used to me me and my younger brother used to call the church office while dad was there and try to imitate her pastor to see if we could fool him to think that she was calling yep <laughs> didn't work it didn't work but it was very endearing <laughs> and again you know uh what is that saying that uh <clears throat> you know imitation is a highest form of flattery yes, or something yes. and mary was uniquely who she was as a woman of God. But what she, you know, she never, I mean, she was nearly always the last person to leave other than the church, the uh, pastor and family. Well, she always called you pastor, which brings, uh, that was not common in the vein of churches that we were in. Right. Um, So she brought a, what is the word for that? Like, uh, she treated you with a sense of authority that other people didn't respect yeah. right there respect yeah. that's the, that's a better yeah word. Mm-hmm. and for her it would have been um inappropriate to address me as anything other than pastor mm-hmm. right. and at you know i mean i've always been kind of like a no title kind of person but again one person's influence on me as the pastor was guess what I am the pastor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't blend into the woodwork of the rest of the leadership. Uh, there, there was a distinctive, and again, in all churches, well, many church. It, I, I almost have to say all churches, just by the fact that the pastor is the one that preaches the majority, if not all, yeah. the time. There is a, there's a mantle of authority. That comes with that, whether no matter how self-deprecating the pastor may be, mm-hmm. there is an authority that comes with that. And so she kind of was a reminder to me of the role that I had. And she, her, her role was definitely one of encourager. And for a church that was trying to get back off the ground, and I think in some ways, maybe the most interesting thing about Mary's choice of church was she could have gone to a church that had a lot more stability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After she'd been in so many that closed, you'd think that that yeah. would be your goal. but Right. But she really, in her own way of listening to the Lord's leading in her life, that's where she ended up. Yes, it was a, the influence of her neighbors was a big influence for her to give that a try. But if it had been a, you know, whatever, very negative experience, mm-hmm. she would have done something else. Mm-hmm. 
But she landed there and then she began to make contributions. And I remember things like, um, you know, again, this is a lady who had volunteered, led kids classes and kids programs at the previous churches she'd been in as a, as a woman coming up and then yeah. kind of at a spot where I'm sure, in fact, she never said it out loud, but I always thought she's just helping us with kids because she just wants this to happen for this church. Mm-hmm. But it, it would exhaust her. Of course, she, you know, I mean, she, she would be the one that would go, you know, well, after t- tonight, because we did a midweek type thing with kids. She'd say, "Well, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be in bed all day tomorrow." <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <kind of> <laughs> um, but anyway, so what her impact on me is very clear on the family members of mine. You know, Sandy and you kids. Uh, she had her own kind of nudge. You know, she was she was something in in the water, the flow of that life, of the church that kind of gave it some energy and gave it a bit of direction, and actually. Not in an authoritative way, but in an influential mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And her influence, one was, we pray. And she would, you know, of course, she grew up in the era in, of church life that you had prayer meetings. And uh, by even the 80s, prayer meetings, as they were done in that way, and Sandy knows about prayer meetings. Well, we did a podcast up. about it, didn't yes. we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Prayer meetings were a time when... Everybody and anybody prayed out loud and might have prayed a long prayer. And so we did not implement that in a regular way, but we did implement occasional what was then called concerts of prayer, which was just a time to pray together. It was a little bit more directed, uh, guided in that way, but she was all in on that. Mm -hmm. And so she really was one that would pray and occasionally um, she'd be willing to pray. And she actually came from the Pilgrim Holiness tradition, which was... Women were full leaders in the Pilgrim Holiness tradition. And so she didn't have a, any qualms about praying aloud, except that she, f- again, had this sense of, well, there's there's a lot of younger people here that could just voice this out. But she never said that because she would pray if if it was a time for everybody to pray. Mm-hmm. She didn't particularly like me calling on her to pray. <laughs> so that's the uniqueness. So anyway, Mary was only at that church for a handful of years, less than five, I'm thinking maybe even four, before she started spending more and more time at the home of one of her adult children uh, away from the town. And then, you know, sometimes it would be like through the winter months, and Mm -hmm. then it got longer and longer, and then eventually she just moved in with one of those children. And so I continued to have like letter letters, this is pre-email, letter correspondence with her. And then because of where we lived in western Kansas, Goodland, you had... You had some choices to make about fun outings. You could, you could drive three hours to Denver, three hours to Colorado Springs, or five hours to Wichita, Kansas. And so we always went to the mountain time zone of Colorado for that kind of outing. So we would occasionally see her because we would go to Colorado Springs. So she had that kind of lingering mm-hmm. um, impact on the church. And I just want to just point out that in this podcast, we're talking about the difference that any one individual can make. And it's not just like I'm set out to make a difference. It's just that by being who I am right, and being engaged with the people in healthy relationships and being available and being available, I am going to be in the middle of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's for Mary, she certainly wasn't trying to make a name for herself. That was, that was in past for her. She already mm-hmm. knew who she was in Christ. And so she was this, you know, 
a high school educated person graduated during right after the depression i think that kind of era and uh, a person that i wouldn't necessarily think of a scholar although she was extremely well versed in the bible because mm-hmm. of her uh, habits of bible reading but then of all things she gave me a book that she was you know again older people will tend to give you things that they think makes sense for them to give you and so she gave me a uh, a book of the memoirs of Erasmus, who was the European guy who was the first one to print an edited Greek New Testament. Hmm. And I, of course, I knew that from my studies. And I didn't make a big deal about it, but I just thought, this is the unlikely gift, the most unlikely gift from this lady. <laughs> Why would she have a copy of Erasmus's memoirs? <laughs> and she had read them. Because she gave me a heads up. And this again, this is a part of Mary. She says, now some of those stories are, mm, I, they're not appropriate for every audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anyway, that got me to where, well, I'm not going to read this book later. I'm going to read this book sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the book, by the way. Um <laughs> And, you know, it's written, it's it's translated because the guy was German, so it's translated from German into English, which I thought, well, who in the world went to the trouble to do this? But I think the only story that I read that was like, hmm, was about Erasmus traveling, and he was he went to... Wait, do we need to give a, this is not appropriate for every audience? No, no, I don't think so. I think we're good. <laughs> no, that, that's part of the interesting thing about this story, is that the... Erasmus was traveling, which is typical, and you, oh man, word escapes me, an inn type thing, but, and. Hostel? Hostel, but where you go, you have a meal, and then if there's a room available, you get a room, otherwise you're just sleeping in the same place that you ate the food. But you're kind of like that in a smaller town. And he describes in a bit of detail all of the farting that was going on (laughs) in that room. And honestly, that was. choice. That was the only thing, I know, but it was about the environment of the, um, just kind of like the rawness of everybody being close and, every, you know, the the social uh, parameters not being quite what they normally would be, a room full of strangers, mm-hmm. and people are just trying to get a night's rest, <laughs> and he just talked about this was, this was like, oh, okay, this is it. So yeah. it was a one-star rating. Yeah, and he was out of there the next day, which is what his plan was anyhow. And so... Uh, again, that might make somebody wonder about Erasmus's memoirs. You might go out and get a copy. I don't know if there's available or not. But again, when you think about, it's like when I'm engaged in a relationship with someone that I think I have them like pegged. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they bring this this new thing to my life. And of course, that story stands out because it's rather hilarious. But the rest of the book is just about Erasmus trying to be... Um, a scholar in a world where scholars were not necessarily respected. Like if they go traveling along the way, nobody's, nobody knows this guy. Mm-hmm. He's nobody special and he has to do everything else. But then when he's at his city where he's doing his work, then he's a respected scholar. And again, I just thought, oh, that's an interesting book. Interesting book. From my dear... Mary Meyer. Mary Meyer. <laughs> so... Com- Completely ridiculous story. 
I always, this is going to sound weird for a second, but go with me. Um, I always credit Mary Meyer for why I don't mow with shirts on. Oh, wow. Okay, this is a story. <laughs> so she stayed long enough that we were mowing her yard. Yes. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one time I disturbed a wasp nest while mowing, and they all got in my shirt and just kept stinging me because they couldn't get out. And that was a very traumatic well, that experience. Really, that is traumatic. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> but also, more seriously, because that, that, that's more of a joke. She had Concord grapes in her backyard that she let us eat when we mowed. And that has mm-hmm. been a lifelong love for Concord grapes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And there were a lot of things that she couldn't do. But there was a was a priority for her that she moved that grape vine in mm-hmm. a bit. Because it was, a, I don't know how many, three or four or five vines at least yeah. tied up. And it was like, it was enough to have a little batch to enjoy mm-hmm. and to snack off of while you were mowing in her backyard. Yep. <laughs> well, she always had good practical advice. I remember yep. that. I won't share the one that she had for me. She one had time. good practical womanly advice. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, they would even say it that. She much. did. Yeah, and so she, she lived the Titus two concept of the older women uh, teaching the younger women solving problems, yeah. helping them solve problems. Yeah. Well, she didn't yeah. have. Um, she didn't have a facade to keep up, so she was just perfectly fine in giving you like a absolutely blunt practical advice. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, without embarrassment yeah. to a degree. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like she would like say it in front of people to like mm-hmm. bring you well, down. Well, because she'd already been building a relationship with you. It wasn't yeah. like she came up to a person she didn't know and gave them yeah. like, that kind of advice. That kind of stuff was well, those of us that she was comfortable with and close to. Yeah. So in the background of all this, um, and the reason that we're, we're kicking off with this podcast is there's a lot more to picking a church than what we think. Uh, and there's also this unique contribution that I can make anywhere. Almost, this sounds almost like weird for a retired pastor to say. We get so hung up on the details of what the structure of the church is mm-hmm. or what the doctrine of the church is that those things can be spot on to what we think is right right and the church can be very unhealthy in relationships mm-hmm. because people are not being open and honest and not connecting with each other and that's why i want to kind of share these stories i mean there's a lot yeah. of other hilarious stories that people can share so she kind of she came into a church and it didn't fit her preferences i just did air quotes that doesn't can you yeah. hear that <laughs> um it didn't fit her preferences but she knew she had something to bring to being there yeah, and didn't feel the need to try to force this church into being what she needed it to be. Right. Yep. And she didn't force herself to be something that she wasn't. Right. right. That is a very so unique... She was, that... And she was upfront to you yeah. with, this isn't how I would do things, that I miss this type of stuff, but didn't feel the need to like, so I'm going to start this ministry right now, whether you like it or not. Right. Yeah. Or I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, spread my opinion in a divisive way. Because right. we've had podcasts on division. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. She just, she was who she was and people accepted her for that. She didn't have an agenda of power, but she certainly had an agenda to make a contribution right. yeah, to, to the life of other people. And it wasn't even to the church per se. It was to the people mm-hmm. that gathered there. Right. Um, that was her passion. And so she was, she knew... Um, 
teenagers. And again, none of her grandchildren, none of her children went to this church. So she built relationships with little kids, with teenagers, and with adults. Mm -hmm. And I just go, wow, you know, uh, why not? Mm -hmm. Except that we allow ourselves to get kind of pigeonholed into things. And, but she also invested a amount of time of being just there, being with people. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was that's pretty cool. Yeah, because yeah. the the other very memorable thing about her was waiting for her lingering conversations with you, so we could eat lunch. Exactly. <laughs> Sunday dinner. <laughs> Sunday yes. Dinner, yes. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure I was annoyed by that at times, but. I also knew how much of a difference she was making for you yeah. in yeah. the support she gave you and stuff. And she gave our, you know, she was always there to encourage our family. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people forget about that. And I just, I always look at things with kids because with my work through church time, yeah. it's always been with kids. And there are so many ways that people can, you know, make a difference. I just remember one time when I was a Kidman pastor, um, this one family really wanted to attend church, but their child, little child, little child, not a baby, but toddler age, um, just was too disruptive. But then if they tried to put the little girl in, kid been, she was crying hysterically the whole time. And, you know, they wanted to just take her right back, you know, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to try to work this out. And I feel like anybody could have done this, but I, at that point, so I just took her. And I walked the halls with her because I wasn't in a classroom, which so that made it easy. And it got to be just a, for a few months. She'd come right to me, and I'd walk the halls with her. And then one day, you know, and I'd go into the room she's supposed to, and eventually there she was. And that I remember years later, a number of years later, that couple thanking me for all the work to get it to where their child loved going to church too, not just them. Right. And I just think that any church person could make a difference in that kind of way yeah yeah and you were in a spot that you could make that difference and i think and and i'm not inclined in this podcast to give anybody a list of things that you should try this is about Mm -hmm. who you are Mm -hmm. and this is about the people that you're connecting with and this just means be who you are as a follower of christ in the situation that you're in you know that I've never been a part of a church yet that I agreed with everything of the standard <laughs> yeah. positions of the church. I and I remember as a student in college, uh, Ozark Christian College. You know, uh, we had a class on hermeneutics, which is how to interpret the Bible. Actually, it was two. It was uh, like a four semesters of that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I bring that up because. Of all of those pages, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of stuff I had to read for those classes, there's one little one-paragraph story that still stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And that is about a metaphor that somebody created that's been around for a couple hundred years, I think, that's just called Me and My Circle. And the Me and My Circle story is that I looked around and I saw someone that did this that I didn't agree with. And so I drew my circle excluding Mm. that person. And so the story goes through a handful of those kinds of things, and they're very specific, until it gets down. And then I looked around at me and my circle, and there was no one there but me. Oh, wow. That is powerful. 
And so in four, you know, in two years, four semesters of how to interpret the Bible, that is the thing that it's like nailed on the wall for me in my brain that says, you get too particular about your views and about your preferences and you'll be in that circle alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's... Because even even here at this table, we don't agree on everything. Oh. Right. We have. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. We 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 interpret things differently. We have lived different life experiences. All of that. So we could easily draw each other out of the circle. Yes. And then you know, with family, then you kind of like try to force them into your circle because mm-hmm. that's the right circle. Um, and one of the things, probably the podcast of yours that I or ours, I guess our yes. podcast <laughs> that I recommend the most is. And I should remember the title. I always had to kind of explain it. But the we kind of talk about the the hierarchy of faith, mm-hmm. of just you know having that core and then building out from there. Right. And doing it that way allows you to have large circles. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me maybe she didn't have this in her head, but that was Mary Meyer's approach. Yeah. Was she had this core, and this church is in this core. So all the stuff that I could draw outside that's like, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, I'm not going to worry about because we can do this together. Right. It's yeah. about the people. There, there is, you know, we, if we challenge ourselves to think <clears throat> rationally about it and logically, which is not the only criteria to make a decision, but if we do that, we realize I'm an individual and we mm-hmm. love individualism in America. We very yeah. much celebrate that. And so it's obvious then clearly that I'm going to have something that matters to me or some view that I have that's that it, there's such a such a uh, the complex multifaceted aspects of what I hold dear to myself that it's not going to match up 100% to anybody else right I mean we just that's by definition that's yep. true and so we can't have that expectation right you have to sacrifice some of those individual preferences to be part of something be part of a community right and, and so that's really almost like the practical thing that we'd like for people to take home. I do want to kind of just move ahead a little bit and think about a, two more or one more picture. And then I kind of want to give some some preview stuff. And that is I'm going to ask Sandy because we looked at Acts 11, 19 to 26, which is when the church was growing and and new things were happening all the time. And so just to kind of think and turn, listen, as you listen to this passage, just think about the individual and what it means to this this community that is crossing all kinds of barriers. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them there were some of men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenistics also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of the Lord, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. 
I think this is one of those definitive passages mm-hmm. about what the church is about. Um, real quick, Hellenists would be Greeks. They'd be Greek or Greek-speaking people. Okay. okay. They wouldn't necessarily be Greek by race or okay. nationality, as we would call it, or ethnic group. But anybody who, who uh, because Hellenists would be probably people associated with the synagogues, not necessarily even members of it, but they were Greek-speaking. That was their okay. primary language. Anyway. Yeah. So, again, that passage is almost, well, it's not self-explanatory, but it has just some interesting snapshots, which is, one, it starts off with, because something bad was happening, church closes, let's say yep. for Mary. Church closes, people scatter, and so then people land in different places. And this passage says, and some people then realized, so why do we have this barrier of not speaking to anybody except Jewish people? Because that, that was still the tendency, even though the, even though the church was moving forward in, in winning, sharing the gospel with people who were not Jewish descent, but they weren't doing it very much. Mm-hmm. And so then these people scatter and they go, well, we've ended up in this town, Antioch, which was, I, of, of many of the cities of ancient times that I've ever studied, I think Antioch would be one of the more amazing cities to have lived in. And it wasn't the massive metropolis like Rome, right? but it was a trade center, it was a cultural center, and it was a melting pot that was, people were accustomed to that environment. Right. And so they go, then they just start speaking to everybody. They just make no distinction anymore. They get everybody. And then people are putting their faith. And then it goes like, oh man, we got all these people that are that have questions. And we don't have a podcast to tell them to listen to. <laughs> and so we need some help. And so they send Barnabas from Jerusalem. And what is the description of Barnabas? <laughs> Barnabas was, um, find it there, for, verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, which meant he was walking in the pathway of God, he was listening to God, and he was full of faith. He wasn't a scholar, at least if he was, they don't mention that, he wasn't whatever. The ma- And again, you think about, wouldn't you love to be a part of a church where People are described as, that's a good good man, mm-hmm. follows God, has a lot of faith, rather than, oh yeah, he's got, he's kind of into the whole second coming thing, <laughs> or he's really into the providence of God, or she really makes a big deal about um, what's the right way to discipline a child. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the family expert. Well, Barnabas was just a good man full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. That's all that mattered. And so then Barnabas gets there and he does a little bit of work. He goes, oh my goodness, this is bigger than I can handle. And so then he reaches out to Paul, Saul, Paul, who eventually becomes called Paul. And Saul's been hanging out uh, somewhere, not there, not doing anything. Even though he had seen the Lord in a vision, he had been baptized and the rest of the leadership of the church wasn't quite ready for him. (laughs) And so then he goes off and again, church history and kind of indications from the New Testament tell us that Saul spent some time anywhere from two to 10 years, kind of in isolation, or at least out of the mainstream, right? kind of developing, you know, growing in his faith in Christ. And Barnabas goes, ta-da, I know a guy. Hmm. And he goes and gets him. And again, what is the distinctive about this? He brought him to Antioch. They spent an entire year teaching a great many people. 
And I, I'm this, my experience tells me, okay, this was group after group. This was, this was newcomers after newcomers. In other words, here's, here's a group. They just need to know, how, you know, the basics. And the distinctive is, and I think it is a big deal. That's the first time that the followers of Jesus were significantly noticed in the community as different in the sense of there's something unique about this community. We're going to call it, they follow Christ. So Christian is easy. That's, that's the same as if we say Christ follower, mm-hmm. which is I-A-N in English. Because again, this is not in English, it's in Greek. <laughs> it was just the distinctive. This is how we're going to identify them. And the story of this, again, I go, that's what matters when I decide what faith community I'm going to be a part of is faith. It is about following the spirit. It is about being a good per good in the sense of of whole uh, integrity like we were talking about with Mary she wasn't she was who she was mm-hmm. it was no facade and I think that when we think about good it's not just that good deeds would be part of that but it's also just they're whole they are so um, as I think about when we and we do want to spend a, another podcast talking about the distinctives in denominations and stuff yeah. in, in big picture thing um, because and distinctives about style of churches and stuff because we need to be able to process that and understand uh, our world today in the church but the New Testament uses some interesting pictures and I'm just going to kind of just in a sense give a list of those yeah. um, and the, there's six that stand out to me there may be a few more but these are the six that stand out to me the New Testament uses metaphors or pictures and basically, in primarily in the epistles of Paul and Peter, and so these are the ones. The church is a body, and we know we've heard about that. At least anybody who's attended church much knows that. And it's a body. It's there's you know there's the organs, there's the limbs, and there's the head. That's Christ. So the body is a metaphor that's used to talk about the church. It's talking about it. The, the body metaphor is really talking about who is the head. Mm-hmm. That's really the point of. And everybody has a role. Everybody's connected. Everybody's them. connected. Everybody has a role. The next one is, the church is a field. That's a lesser known metaphor. Yeah. But it's what in, happens in a field? Yeah. Things grow. Things grow. And produce and make a difference for the world. Right. Things grow in a field so that people's needs can be met. Food needs. Mm-hmm. Third, the church is a family, or I kind of lean toward household. Okay. Because family, it, well, actually, yeah, I mean, you know, people get a little annoyed that we talk about family and all got its own definition and stuff like mm-hmm. this. And people get a little annoyed about that, but household family. Well, household fits better because as Christians, we should ha- let other people be in our household as needed. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's actually a very specific Greek word that is household that sometimes is translated family, but it's typically translated household. And that is oikos. And it is you and your circle. Oh, ah. cool. And again, going back to our metaphor, yeah, your circle, circle metaphor, mm-hmm. it is anybody who is in your influence, your sphere of influence. And so if a person mm-hmm. is a business owner, their household in the Greek biblical sense is all of their employees and their actual relatives mm-hmm. and next door neighbor. That would be household. Um, third or fourth is the church is a flock. Bah, you know, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> And actually, 
Now that you mentioned the word pastor, mm -hmm. it translates the Greek word for shepherd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is that. And so that's 1 Peter 5 really talks about that a lot. Uh, and that's, that's a metaphor that is talking about, talking about the responsibility of leaders to care and for sheep to um, stick together, mm -hmm. to not mm -hmm. get lost. Then the church is a building, but it's actually even more specifically as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, it is a temple. Okay. A, and it's a temple not for people to be in, because what is the purpose of a temple? It is the location of the God. Okay, okay. We're talking historically right. speaking. A temple is not about a place you go to to worship. It is the residence of your God. Right. Well, and so Israel had the temple, and God even told Solomon when, you know, Solomon wanted to do this because he just was big into building projects. <laughs> and God says, okay, but you do know that I don't live in anything made by human hands. And so... The, this is probably one of the more underutilized metaphors about the church. The church is a place where God dwells. And again, get it out of our heads that it's a physical brick-and-mortar building. It is, and again, in First Peter says, everybody is a stone. Which makes it very clear then. We're not in the temple worshiping. We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. And we think of from 1 Corinthians 6, that, oh yeah, we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as individuals, which is, that is, it says, don't you know the Holy Spirit is in you? That is singular, you, individual. But in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about you are the dwelling place of God and the you is plural. Mm. And that is this concept of the temple is the plurality of the followers of Jesus who they live in a place that God dwells hmm. and then that is the place where god influences the world and then last of all and it is probably a well-known one the church is a kingdom and jesus talked about the kingdom of god is upon mm -hmm. you and, and peter you are you know peter you're confess peter said you know, you are the christ the son living god when jesus asked him who he says he was and jesus says well you know what that that's right this is a kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. And we even have, for thine is the, king, the power and the glory, the kingdom, the power, and the glory in the Lord's Prayer. So we know that concept. And so all of these help us to realize that the church is more about the connection that we have. It's more about not drawing our circle, but letting God draw the circles where we dwell. And if, I mean, think about it. Again, people who really have, uh, I mean, we, we could get very discriminating, and I say that both in the positive and the negative sense of the word. Let's just go back to the temple concept, or the flock, but I like the temple because it goes like, because when I think of the temple, the people being the temple, I think of a montage, a collage, you know, where things are pasted together, or like a mosaic, and you go, whoa, this, whatever, this isn't very attractive, you know, what is this? Until you get far enough back from this mosaic that you realize the um, uh, amazingness of it. And I think that's what, with the church, even though we get involved in a very local part of the church worldwide, and it may be a house church size, 
It might be a small congregation size. In America, typically, you know, 50 and less is more than half of the churches in America. And then you go up to, you know, the two to 300 to 400 size, and then you have the mega church uh, kind of size. And it's like, all of these are potentially expressions of God's dwelling place on the earth. And we want to find our way to dwell in that, to be at peace with others, and to um, share in what God is doing in the world. So that's where we're going. We're going to do some deep dive into um, uh, denominations and such. But we just to kind of wrap this up. The reason this is, I feel like this, we, we thought about this, the deep dive podcast for quite a while. But what really has kind of put it on my mind is that we are almost in a free fall of church attendance in America, at least in some circles. I mean, it, it's statistically the things you can see now, the Gallup polls and out of the Barna polls and then other smaller or other uh, polls that are not quite as well known is that anywhere from COVID, so in 2020 to 2021, um, nearly 25% of baby boomers quit going to church and have not gone back since then. Now, those may be other issues, but it's like, that's happening. Church attendance in America has, for the first time, is now hovering around 50%. Uh, and I, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the end of the world. I'm just saying there's something happening, and maybe it is, that we've been attaching ourselves into churches because it matches our circle or we don't realize the contribution we can make. And that's why we started this podcast with a conversation about our friend and sister Mary, who has already gone on to heaven, but where she it didn't, you know, she didn't think in terms of legacy. She just thought, this is what I do as a follower of Christ. I invest in other believers and together we invest in our community. And so we're looking forward to this new season and really glad to be able to share it with you. We'd love to hear from you with comments, questions, and your stories. Email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. You can find more resources on our Patreon page or on our website, tonykafka.com.